Hello everybody, thank you for joining me today at Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough. Unfortunately, today's episode was cut short by half an hour due to technical difficulties. I hope the ending is not so jarring. Now let's get to that intro. Call the author of Bones and Remains. It's also quite a few other things that we're going to dive into today. Um, and I will be doing this episode with my co host, Brennan Lefaro. Please tell me I got that right this time. No, you're over three, but that's okay. I might just change it so that, uh, <laughs> so that nobody knows. What got you into horror initially before, before your film, before your books? Yeah, that's a that's um yeah okay that's a good question. It's um that going way back when um let me think probably I guess I was I I've always been fascinated by by the paranormal for probably about as long as I can really remember. Um since I was a kid I was big into those um those kind of books you can get like true ghost stories all that yep. sort of stuff and I I kind of grew up reading those. Um and then there was kind of so up to the point where I, I actually teamed up with my best friend um, to go ghost hunting. I mean, we were like, we were like, uh, how old would we have been? Maybe like 12, 11, 12, um, to go ghost hunting around our, our local village, um, which of course was, I remember we went to a, um, we went to an old people's home. I can't actually quite remember how we got in, but we did, we kind of got in and got talking to the, uh, to the residents and, um, I remember one of them telling me, and I, like at 11 or 12, you pretty much believe everything you hear. I remember him telling me about how there was a cracked beam in the uh, in the sort of the main lounge of this old building. It was a converted barn um, where, I don't know, he just made up a name, I'm sure. Some <laughs> guy had hung, hung himself from the beams and on a dark and stormy night. Uh, you could uh, he, you'd see him if they're like in a flash of lightning. You might you might see him hanging there. And um, being sort of 11, 12-ish, me and my friend, this was absolutely amazing. And like I say, believed every single word of it. Um, I don't think strictly that that was true. Uh, but, you know, so I guess uh, it was long back, uh, back as I can remember. And then there came a point where I picked up a copy of um, The Haunting of Hill House, which um, I actually have, I probably have about five or six copies of, of this book. And... Um, because I like to, I'm a real um, collector when it comes to, if I find a, because I love cover art and design mm-hmm. so much. So I'll, if I see another copy of something and I think that looks really cool, then I'll, I'll buy that. And I've done that with, as you know, with like Bones and, and sort of releasing the special edition. I was sort of working towards trying to do that sort of thing with my own work. But anyway, so I picked up a copy of The Haunting of Hill House and read it in, an, in pretty much an afternoon and um which is fast for me because i'm notoriously slow as a reader 
and um, just I was absolutely blown away. I was absolutely blown away by it. And um, I think that would sort of solidify like the, the start of me wanting to uh, create horror um, in one form or another. Um, so I think those two those two interests came together um, through re- like at that point in my life. And I must have been maybe again about at most I was about 13 at that stage. So I decided pretty early on um, which direction I was headed. And it has nothing to do with my surname, by the way. That is actually really my surname. Mm-hmm. It's not a pen name. And I get asked that quite a bit because people go, oh, yeah, you got a really good name for horror. And I'm like, yeah, that's just my name. Like, I just, <laughs> like, whether whether that means that it was, like, somehow predestined, like, I was just going to, like, I've got actually got a friend who's a, a priest and his surname is actually Holy. So... <laughs> Whether like somehow we were predestined, we were going to go in that direction. Um, I don't know. So, but um, but yeah. So that, I'd say that's kind of how I came to horror, and um, it developed over the years. I won't bore you with lots of details, but the next couple of years of my life involved discovering Hitchcock, and I'm a huge Hitchcock fan to 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 the to today. Basically, you know what I mean. Um, through my whole adult life, and I'd say that it, he sort of. Uh, watching his movies and uh, that that sort of pushed me in the direction that I felt that I wanted to take horror into film initially and um, and that's pretty much where where I first went with with the kind of horror writing so, mm-hmm. uh, so Andy uh, stepping back a second uh, during yeah. your uh, 12 year old amateur ghost hunting days uh, yeah. I gotta ask you do you ever uh experience anything see anything or is it just a bunch of 12 year old boys scaring the hell out of each other in a dark barn back then probably that that was pretty uh, that's a pretty good description of uh, of how it went um i've actually i've always felt i'd like to spend more time uh doing some serious paranormal investigation i went way back when when i was working um first uh, in television and film back in the uk i actually pitched a show to um my agent at the time and said what i want to do is i want to go and do paranormal investigation but i want to do it um with scientists so i want actual paranormal investigators but i want people from various different scientific fields to travel with us and we'll go around the uk because obviously uk a lot of history a lot of uh, potential hauntings and the like and we'll do it scientifically and we'll look at this properly uh because you obviously whenever you look at paranormal investigation there's there's a lot of hokum you know and there's a lot of uh going right back to spiritualism there's a lot of people who are out there because they want to be famous not because they really want to uh actually experience the paranormal as such anyway so she uh, she rejected this idea that that won't work no one's going to be interested in, in you doing that and then about like a year later this show called most haunted started in the uk <laughs> which was basically a bunch of people going around the country doing paranormal investigations. Uh, and that went on to become like quite a quite a big thing in, in the UK, um, obviously without scientists. And by scientists, I don't mean psychics. You know what I'm saying? Like you go, you see that, you see them and you think, uh, yeah, I'm not, a, look, as someone who really wants to be convinced of uh, the paranormal, I am quite sceptical. And I think that my approach maybe wouldn't have been the most appealing um, because I wanted to go there and, and really 
explore things scientifically. And I think when you when you um, that 11, 12 year old kid who believed everything, he's not really, you know, I've, I've changed quite a bit since then uh, and swung quite a lot in the other direction. Um, so for me, I'd, it would take a lot to convince me, um, but I'm definitely open to it. And I've actually said if I ever get to a point where I'm successful as an author um, and uh, have enough money to be able to take some time out, um, that I would actually like to still go and do that idea that I pitched years ago um, and just fund it myself and um, and go and uh, see if I can experience anything. Um, yeah, I'm hugely open to the idea of this, um, but uh, I'm waiting to be convinced, I think, is, is uh, the, the answer to that. Do you have locations picked? Uh, well, it, like when I lived in the UK, um, it, I, there were lots of places I'd love to have gone. Um, now I'm in Australia. It's different. It's kind of a case of exploring it all over again, like finding new locations to go to and that sort of thing. So there are things I'd like to investigate. Like there's a there's a um, the Hawkesbury River monster, which is uh, not quite the same as like we're talking about ghosts and stuff, but I'm interested <laughs> as well. Um, so I'd love to go into the site of uh, where the river monster is meant to be seen and uh, and investigate there too. Um, I think overall, I'm, I'm interested in all areas of of the paranormal. So, like we're talking from sort of ghosts through cryptids and that sort of thing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there are lots of different uh, ideas. Um, going back to the UK, I'd love to visit the site uh, of Borley Rectory, uh, where that where uh, the rectory was, and that was one of the most haunted locations in the UK for a very long time. Um, so, I'd like to visit there too. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you go to the UK, it's pretty easy to find locations that are supposedly haunted uh, because obviously there's so many older buildings and um, and so much history uh, to the UK. Coming here to Australia, there is a lot of history, um, but it uh, sort of predates um, sort of people, people uh, sort of uh, colonising here, if you see what I mean. So it's more of a case of uh, you have the, the oldest societies here because, of course, you have the Aboriginal um, society um, prior to um, the landings and all that sort of thing. Um, but it's not as easy to find locations uh, like Bali Rector, for example, that sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I would, um, I've also, I'll tell you what I've also wanted to do, which is something that uh, relating to that and a good way to get into doing that here is uh, when I was growing up in the UK, you used to have a thing like you could get these kind of home printed um, kind of booklets. Um, of hauntings from that area. So um, in the UK, like we have, I don't know how, how much you guys know about this, but we have different counties, which are kind of like this, like having a, another state. Only the difference is they're tiny and they can be like pretty much next door to one another because the UK is so small and compacted. Um, so what you'll do is, but the, the thing that also sort of blows my, uh, my wife's mind is the fact that you can drive five miles and people have a completely different accent <laughs> to the accent they had like five miles before and she found that really like hard to get her head around like you just go somewhere and people talk completely differently and you how does this happen in such a small space um but anyway uh, when i was a kid growing up again we used to go on holiday to various different counties and what you do is i collected um these kind of unprinted books which were like ghosts of surrey ghosts on these different counties and that sort of thing and i'd love to do that here so I'd love to do that by sort of start off by um, 
going to the various states and uh, and doing like you know writing books of of the various different hauntings in those locations and maybe doing some exploration sort of while I was doing that. So yeah, that's a really neat plan. I just want to hug one more question. Um, pertaining to this, you just said states. Are you talking about the United States, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but here in in um, in Australia, we have the different uh, we have the different states. So we have like Victoria, New South Wales. Uh, we're here in Victoria here. Right. Um, right. Uh, but the whole country is sort of divided up into states and territories. Gotcha. Uh, so we have like because it's huge. The, I think um, I, if you ever get a chance, because I can't really describe how this how big Australia actually is. But if you ever get, go online and look up how many times Europe fits into Australia, and <laughs> you just let you go like, really? Like you look at it and it, it's uh, a lot of times. So it's, uh, it's three time zones. I know that much. Yeah. So that's how that's how big Australia is, and uh, we're really spread out. So um, so for example, here in uh, in uh, Victoria, uh, it's something like 700 kilometers, I think to get to Sydney um, and um, so and, if you, and like we're relatively close together so wow. uh, yeah um, for, some, for someone who loves flying as much as I do uh, which is not, not at all um, it's it's kind of hard to get around <laughs> to the I, state so I, I bet I, um, I was going to ask uh, it's kind of suggest if because it is paranormal related um i'm from a town called bridgewater massachusetts it's nearby where brendan lives i'm not gonna say where he lives but uh i don't live in my hometown anymore so that's why i'm announcing it publicly i guess or whatever but uh there is this 200 mile square paranormal site um that has recorded since the i think as early as the 70s it's called the bridgewater triangle um anytime i hear someone oh, yeah. talking about yeah okay i think it's fx is actually going to be making a television show about it but I, I lived uh there there's a lot of history with the native american indians there were some violent wars between pilgrims, uh, the Wampanoags, which was a native tribe there. The uh, there's this I don't know how big but there's this massive swamp called Hockamock Swamp. The Native Americans used to refer to it as the uh, I believe it was the Swamp of uh, Evil Spirits. I could be butchering wow. that. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> along those lines, but uh, it used to um, I. Around 10,000 years ago, they say that there was a massive iceberg. It melted, became the swamp. And it's just sightings of, like, UFOs, devils, thunderbirds, which are basically prehistoric 12-foot wingspan birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ghosts. Yeah, and the coolest thing, and I don't know if Brendan knows this, uh, which I hope he doesn't, um, I was curious when the first – quote unquote school was not a home school but school in America. The birthplace is near where my hometown is. I, I think it's a town called Rehoboth. It is I'm Rehoboth. pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, so there's like old school there's still single room classroom schools that are still standing. 
um, in Massachusetts. And I know there's this one in particular that if you go there during Halloween or whatever the night is, I was told Halloween, you can see these spirit kids in the schoolroom and it's creepy. I've never seen anything, but it's a dark room. It kind of reminds me of how I felt when I read your book Remains. And um, there's there's and the last site I'll talk about is there's this one place where they used to hang Native Americans on this big rock. It's on the side of a main road. I forget the town name, but it's just creepy. We, me and my friends stood there during Halloween night just listening. We didn't see anything. We didn't hear anything. But you kind of get the chills like you shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, creepy. I, I think I, I think I saw um, something about the Bridgewater Triangle. I think it was what's that production company? Small Town, Small Town Monsters. Um, they've done a few documentaries uh, on cryptids and hauntings, um, sort of around the U.S. And I think that they did cover the Bridgewater Triangle. But I think you're right. I think I've seen that there is a show coming, which, which is actually sort of about all about it. So um, that sounds like an amazing place to live. That, that would be, that'd be incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's a small town. It's uh, it's it's a it's it's got a lot of it's a collective area. The most southern point of it, or at least one of the southern points, is a town called Free Freetown. Is it Freetown, Brennan? Freetown. Yeah. So there's a state park there, and there was a cop on this documentary talking about how even with a loaded pistol at night, he did not like being there because they would find mutilated animal carcasses. Uh, there were cults, uh, I believe, murders there too. It's just, it's it's got plenty of room for a lot of horror writers to base stuff off of. That's it. Sounds like a cra- crazy place. <laughs> I got to be honest, I'm a little blown away that because, uh, you know, I live uh, bordering on at least two towns that are part of that Bridgewater Triangle. I had actually never heard of it until Pat brought it up to me a few <laughs> months ago. And and here's somebody in Melbourne, Australia, who knows more about it than I do living 20 minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, how, that, how that that was. Uh, that was just yeah, pure coincidence that uh, that yeah. was the case. So. I do love those shows. I still love those shows even now. I, I think I've taken to – I much prefer the ones that try to veer on on the side of facts um, a lot more nowadays. You tend to um, – I think that the hysteria of – like I don't generally watch the kind of ghost hunting shows anymore um, because I find it hard to sort of I, – I feel that they don't really run on, on evidence as such. Uh, look, the paranormal is really hard to quantify anyway, isn't it? It's, it's not like you can say, okay, here's the answer. You know, there's a yes and no answer. You know what I mean? Um, it, there is some trust and faith, faith involved, I guess. Um, but I'm much more interested in shows that just document the facts of, of where, of what stuff, you know, what is actually happening or potentially happening. And I think that these uh, small town monsters, like I say, well worth checking out some of their stuff, but they definitely do tend to go, um, along the line of just talking to people who have been involved or seen various um, phenomenon and not really to make um, sweeping hysterical uh, judgments, that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, so I think I think you'll find they've covered it. So um, definitely uh, worth checking their stuff out. They're good. They're good. And they're always producing more material as well. So. Uh, 
I've been hogging Andy's time. How about, uh, how about you go, Brennan? <laughs> I'm actually uh, re- really curious to uh, s- switch from ghosts uh, to cryptids. You had mentioned uh, some sort of, I-, I missed the name, but some sort of river monster. Um, oh, yeah, Hawkesbury River Monster. So, I-, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, our, our Jersey Devil here and the uh, better yeah, known yeah. ones, the, uh, but, but, I, I would love to hear about, you know, a couple that you have in uh, Australia. There's got to be some different ones, right? Uh, yeah, kind of. I think of what, what, what it normally comes down to, I think, is, is that they're, they're, a, they're sort of a type of, um, of cryptid generally, aren't they? So instead of the Yeti, uh, we have the Yowie here in Australia, which is pretty much the same thing, um, but, but in Australia. You've got your Hawkesbury River Monster, which is kind of not, not necessarily your Loch Ness Monster, um, but definitely something huge living in the in the Hawkesbury River. Um, I think we tend to like growing up in the UK. I was uh, I was always I was fascinated by the idea. Like we have um, we also have big cats here, um, which we had in the UK too, uh, which could potentially be uh, cats that have been released into the wild, that sort of thing. So I think wherever you go in the world, cryptids are of a of a sort of a similar uh, nature. Um, just sort of reinterpretations of, of various different myths and legends. I think with regards, um, I'm fascinated by uh, um, uh, sort of the water-based uh, cryptids. I, lo- I really love the idea. I know that like maybe I was just last year or maybe it was the year before when they did DNA tests on Loch Ness to see if there really was any chance that anything was, was living in there. And they found that it was most likely probably just an eel. Or eels, like, you know, big, really eel. big eel, <laughs> um, but not, but not the giant eels I was kind of hoping for. You know, not a plesiosaur or something like that, which is what, of course, you know, like cryptid lovers like myself uh, are hoping will be the case. Um, I love the idea. Of, uh, the Thunderbird is one that, you sp- that was mentioned, um, but uh, that I really think is fascinating as well. I get there's a, like a, I guess there's a big chunk, isn't there, of it's where we think, you know, we grew up watching like. Yeah, you know, like my journey to the center of the earth and movies like that and, and sort of Ray Harryhausen movies and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think there's a real sense of um, wanting to find that in still that, that magic uh, kind of still exists in the world, I think. And so we we're like, I love the idea that there could still be dinosaurs somewhere in the outback that they actually haven't become extinct and that they're actually still living out there. And they're what we call cryptids. You know, that that sort of thing. Like the, the Thunderbird, you know, is a pterodactyl. You know, that, that sort of thing would be would be amazing. Um, and a lot of a lot of what I think with the the paranormal in general is that the paranormal is these are all areas of science that aren't normal yet, that they're not explained yet, and that, that there will be time when that happens. And I would love the answer for a lot of cryptids to be, yeah, they actually exist and they are just other species. Like like our Yetis and Yowies and Bigfoot, that sort of thing. That they really are these great hairy uh, sort of hair, well hairy sort of men or you know creatures, uh, and that they do exist. Um, and that eventually there'll come a time when someone really does get proper footage of those sorts of things. I, I think when smartphones became a really big thing, and we're all carrying cameras around with us, it was a, a chunk of me that went yes. We're finally going to see loads of <laughs> we got this. all those things that I've been waiting to see. You know what I mean? And uh, and that hasn't happened. And of course, the, the 
the more skeptical part of me, I get well. There's there's the bit of me that wants to believe in all this. That's kind of sort of waiting still, hoping still. You know that we're going to get that rush of evidence that we haven't had. But the skeptical part of me says, you know, maybe that's there's a reason we haven't seen all that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, yeah. They, I believe that they're based off of a creature that lived about a hundred thousand years ago called the Gigantopithecus. It's about a. I think they they grew up to about nine feet tall. They're just a giant ass primate. Um, that's pro. That's probably where the the whole Bigfoot thing came from. And you know, that's around the time when we would talk around the campfire. I mean, not the campfire. The stories talk about what's dangerous in the world. By the way, that's why horror has always been the best. It's always been around. <laughs> um, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, like they don't exist. I don't know what exists because um, I've heard like statistics that we know so much to the of the percentage of the rainforest or the ocean. So I'd be curious. I mean, why, why yeah, the hell really wouldn't true. I be? Yeah, that's really true. There. So we have actually explored so little of certain parts of the planet that there's absolutely the possibility there could be something there. And I think that's that's what the that's what the less skeptical part of me clings onto as an idea, that that's what we're gonna we're gonna have some amazing discoveries. Um, yeah, and it, it's entirely possible. I mean, I think we we look for we do look for kind of magic and mythology in a, in in the world, particularly at times at the like the moment where the the world is is in such disarray and people look to that they look to horror for a sense of safety to to an extent uh it's escapism isn't it obviously you know like we we use it to escape the sort of every day into something fantastical um and, and the idea that monsters could exist is definitely a, is definitely a part of that you know what's interesting is during the western expansion in america um, but when they didn't have a map before Lewis and Clark, uh, you know, sketched out everything and and reported this is what the world looks like on the West Coast. Guys like Thomas Jefferson, they thought that there's a real chance there might be dinosaurs there. Um, I'm not saying that's it, it, that, that was only like 200 years ago. <laughs> I'd love that to be. And that would have been amazing if that was actually the case. That would have been fantastic. Oh, my God. You know, like yeah. I still... I still like, I know, like, you know, like as if we haven't been warned enough by Jurassic Park, I still love the <laughs> idea that someone's going to start like bringing dinosaurs back using their DNA from like, you know, like, um, like in the movies. I really love that idea. Yeah. Um, That'd be terrifying though. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's also not really ethical. I'm sure, I'm sure it's not right, but like there's a bit of me, a kid, like the kid inside me really wants to still see dinosaurs for real. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, I guess we just have to stick to VR or something. That'll be yeah. the um, the answer to that. So. We'd do it in uh, a damn heartbeat, too. Uh, we've learned absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. I can, uh, I can definitely, like Donald Trump, like he's, he's like said, you know, he's uh, announced Space Force. I have absolutely no doubt he'd be quite happy to reanimate the dinosaurs while he's <laughs> in, in office. So uh, he doesn't really have the same ethical... Um, Issues that most normal people have, I think. So uh, yeah, for so sure, that could happen. 
<laughs> um, so Alan Baxter kind of started a great trend, or maybe it's uh, rekindling a trend, and that's the feature the creature feature. Um, he's not from Australia originally. You aren't either. There's been a few other people that have done the, the creature feature. So when is an Andrew Cole creature feature coming? <laughs> well, I, uh, I was actually pre- I was gutted that the weekend I think it was that the whole Rue uh, idea took off. I actually, I wasn't on Twitter that weekend, and I came back um, after and sort of saw all this was kind of happening, and that Alan had gone pretty much straight away and started work um, on this idea, and uh, and that he'd sort of named all the different people who were going to get murdered. Uh, horribly in in the story and, and i missed yeah. it and I was, I was kicking myself over that so um <clears throat> i think if there's a rue too i'd just like to say i'd be very happy to be murdered horribly um in the rue too <laughs> if, if that happens uh, i just did this go on i uh, just I was just going to say my favorite murder is Brennan's. That, that's, uh, I hope that becomes a movie. I want to see that happen. Just that part, too. Just that part. That's it. And then the credits roll. The end. Did you, <laughs> you read it? No, yet. So this is the thing as well. So oh. I want to pick copy because I am. So I basically, um, with regards to sort of getting books here. So I missed the boat on this on several occasions. So Alan was selling copies for a bit and it seems that if you don't jump on it on the day they're all gone because it's pretty <laughs> wildly popular and uh, i know it's a bit cheeky but i really want to see if i can get a signed copy so i've held off buying it until i can actually get a signed copy from alan so oh, uh, uh, that, i wait for my, that so um so if i can if i can do that like um i would, lo- I would absolutely love it if not look i'll just put up with a, a regular one or, uh, or one from the Kindle store. So, Message him. That's but, what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, the, um, as far as a creature feature uh, story is concerned, I, like, I gotta, it's weird. Like, I, don't, I don't really write to... Um, how's the best way to describe it? So I don't, with, with regards to the kind of stories I write, uh, it's really a case of I'll have an idea and I'll just follow it. So, uh, for example, I can, without sort of wanting to do any spoilers for the story I'm currently working on, it um, it kind of goes in a direction I think people might not expect it to. Um, and I, I generally sort of find that happens a, a bit. I did have some ideas which are close to a kind of creature feature. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to, to de- describe them. I'm writing, for example, in in my new collection, I'm writing about everything from just sort of straight murderers um, through vampires, um, through sort of reanimated corpses. Um, There's a a few fed, oh, to a cryptid as well. I'm writing about a cryptid finally um, (laughs) in in one of the stories. Um, So, yeah, so it, it, it tends to be a case that I just go wherever the sort of story takes me. I um, which may not necessarily be what I think it is initially. Too, um, that can change. When I was writing uh, um, "Knock and You'll See Me" in the early stages of planning it, I, I didn't really know quite how it was going to go. And I know some people 
um, without doing any spoilers, I know some people really don't like how it ends, um, but I kind of decided on that, say, about midway through the process that it was going to go the way it did, um, sort of monster-wise. Um, I think whatever I write, I like writing about monsters, so there will always be plenty of those uh, in the stories that I do. Um, would I take on a Rue-esque kind of uh, uh, story? Yeah, maybe. Maybe in the future. Uh, I've noticed people are working through various different types of uh, animals online, um, local to their areas. Um, so you guys would have plenty of uh, material, surely, for, uh, for one of those kinds of stories. Yeah. They wouldn't be quite as interesting as yours, though. I mean, I'd, I'd be excited to read an Andy Cole book about a uh, 50-foot duck-billed platypus uh, eviscerating <laughs> a character named Alan Baxter. <laughs> you, know, you never know you never know what could be coming so i can't uh, think of anything more different from remains than something like that <laughs> yeah. no, no, you're absolutely right i think that would be that would be say, completely at the other end of the, yeah nobody the would see that coming we're I actually say, gonna yeah. have him on uh on. alan baxter we're gonna be talking to alan in like a month i think from now oh yeah cool so is there anything that you want to say for, like, a fake rivalry just to, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just tell just tell him from me that uh, if he'd like to murder me horribly, uh, that's fine. And uh, and I'll return the favor in a story later on. So oh, uh, yeah. quite happy for that to happen. He can, we'll he can... pass along the message. Yeah. Now, that's that not, he's in New South Wales. Isn't that near uh, Victoria? Uh, not really. Well, it does. No. <laughs> look, it, it, it kind of does border on on us. Um, but I think Alan's. I think he's still quite a long way away from where I am here. I know he was down. I was a bit disappointed with um, just timing wise. So with various cons that we have here in Australia, you uh, you kind of have the option. I've never done one before, um, and I was thinking about maybe doing one this year. Obviously, things are a bit different with everything that's happening at the moment. Um, but um, Alan was actually down for one, and I, and I didn't realize until, again, this is me not really being, like, with social media, I try to sort of, I'm on a bit, but I, I'm not on all the time. Uh, that's mainly because it's very easy to get sucked into and yeah. uh, and not to be getting on with my work. So it's very, like, I am a master procrastinator. Like, I can, you know, like, I can spend a whole day, like, working up to working and then <laughs> get to about, like, five and go, ah, oh, Oh well, I'm probably not going to get much done now. I'll go off and do something else. So, um, so yeah. So I, I unfortunately missed that. Um, but I'd love to. I, I want to meet Alan definitely. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to sort of somehow in the future meet up at a con um, and and just you know just catch up. I mean, he's a great he's a great he's a great guy. Um, I think one of the things that like uh, following people online on Twitter, for example, you get to see people who are real. Uh, examples of decency and I think this sounds like it might sound like an odd thing to, to say because I know not everyone uses social media in the same way but for me I really do think it's um, you, you have to you, you're going to have to tailor your feed to the type of person you'd want to meet in real life I think you know so um, and I follow you know quite a lot I follow a lot of people but I you know there are certain people I really enjoy their feed and enjoy reading uh, what they have to say, and I'd say Alan's definitely one of those people. 
who yeah. go on and you think this is a genuinely decent guy who's you know working really hard at what he does and um, yeah i think he'd be a great guy to meet in person and hopefully in the future we'll, we'll be able to do that be able to coordinate doing that um but just going back to creature features very briefly uh when i first moved to australia so i come coming from the uk and um you know our idea of a big spider <laughs> we're talking about something that's like the size of a like a like a i don't know like a 10 like a, i'm trying to think of a coin that you guys would know the size of um but basically they're not, very, they're not very big is what i'm trying to say <laughs> okay so like how big spiders are not big i come to australia and like people are like people are going, oh yeah so you know pretty much everything in australia wants to kill you anyway so it's not really correct <laughs> to uh, to write a, a creature feature because that is everyday life here and uh, but people are sort of saying oh yeah have you ever have you seen a huntsman spider yet and i'm like no 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 what does that look like then and then you go online right and you look this up google huntsman spider and you go yeah okay no no thank you uh, so i'm at my mother-in-law's house and um we're sort of like this is not long after i've been here and looking up the wall and i look up and i think you have got to be joking me and there's a spider up there that li literally like it's so big, I think we could have a conversation. You know what I mean? Like that that's how big oh this thing God. is. And and that was that was my first experience of seeing like a huntsman in like in the house as well. It's one uh, thing, isn't it, to see a huge spider when you're outside. I just Googled it. I What's just Googled that? it. I just Googled that. Wow. Well, what'd you do that for, you idiot? <laughs> oh my God. That doesn't look real. I'd leave the damn country. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here. Um, I've been here nearly eight years now, and this is the weird thing about it. So obviously, huntsmans aren't always huge, and they they sort of vary in size. But now to the point where there's actually one that lives outside my office. Now my office is out outside of our main house. It's uh, it's like an extension built onto the house, um, but we actually have one that lives outside the office now, which, which we've named Bob, and. Uh, um, Bob the Huntsman does. He likes to come out at night and uh, and sort of and hunt because they don't. But they, don't, as far as I'm aware, they don't um, uh, sort of they don't like uh, have webs as such. They'll just they hunt. So um, so that's why don't watch that video of the the spider hauling the mouse up the side of the refrigerator. Um, I'm, because I'm looking at that picture Bob's right now. That's crazy. Big, but Bob isn't as big as that. So but like yeah, Bob the Huntsman lives outside. Um, outside my, my uh, office. So that, that shows that things have changed. Wow. So in the eight years since I go, don't get me wrong, I'm not about to shake his hand. We're not about, you know, you know we're not, like, I don't really want him to come into the office, but I can I can live with the uh, the little bit of distance that we have there. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'd be shitting my pants, pissing my <laughs> pants, whatever, and running. So speaking of uh, scary creatures that live in Australia... Um, yeah. what's the uh, horror writer scene like there? Yeah, good, uh, really good. Like, so when I first got here, I um, so when I first got here, I sort of had a bit of there was a bit of a transitionary uh, transitionary period where I was um, when I first came here, I was still sort of working in film. So um, and so so what happened was I, I kind of I spent like a bit of time working on some screenplays and. And trying to sort of meet people here who might um, want to sort of like team up on a project and, and, and get some stuff rolling. 
And then, it, like, for a long time, it had been suggested, why don't you write a novel? You know, why don't you try and write a novel? And I'd been I'd put this at the back of my mind um, because I was so sort of fixated on getting film done. And obviously, we did that in the end with the possession of David O'Reilly. And and over time, I was like, like one of the one of the things about working in in film was to get David O'Reilly up and running. It took nine years to do. So you know, from from originally having the script through to uh, being on set and actually shooting it was like it was a nine year period. Wow. And you've got to say when you're working on something, is it really worth like so? It's like I'm in my 40s now, right? So looking at how things could have gone, like, okay, so what's that? Like you get another movie by the time you're about 50 and then another one by the time you're 60. Like what's going on here? Like that's that's a really, you know, that's a really kind of, they say boom and bust and they feel like your career. But that's a lot of years of bust for a little bit of boom. So um, so really it's a, when I, I sort of realized and had a, a few, quite a few conversations with my wife about it and um, kind of decided that maybe I was going to give that book a go. Because one of the issues with my writing is that I've never had trouble coming up with ideas. So what I do is like on the computer, I keep a list of everything that I've kind of sketched out roughly or or kind of got an idea to work on. And um, at last count, there are 21 projects that I could start tomorrow if I wanted to. And whenever I write a new project, I tend to find that within the, the sort of period of time that it takes to do that, I'll, um, I'll have come up with maybe two or three more in that period of time. <laughs> if I was gonna try and get this down on film, I'd like, you know, like even if I live to be 80 or 90, I'm not gonna see a lot of these projects come to fruition. So yeah, transitioning to writing, uh, writing prose, I realized that I can actually get a lot more done a lot more quickly. And so I put out um, The Trade, which was a, a, an idea that had been buzzing around in my head for a long time while I was making film and that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll put this story out there. And so what it did was I found a Facebook group, the Australasian Oral Writers Association, joined up and um, sort of said, you know, like, if anyone wants to have a read of the story, I'd love it if you know, I could get some feedback. So I put it out there. And, you know, that everyone in the group was, you know, like quite a few people came to me and said, yeah, I'd love to sort of beta read that for you, um, which was fantastic. And I sort of started making friends. And then uh, other writers, <coughs> excuse me, and there are various sort of um, factions of the, of the Australasian Horror Association because we're so far apart. Um, so the Victorian uh, sort of chapter would meet up. Um, so I went to a few meetings, had a bunch of uh, writers there. Uh, yeah, it always sounds weird to say Victorian. Coming from the UK, uh, where <laughs> Victorian like, is a period of history, obviously. So yeah. coming here and saying, yeah. going, oh, yeah, we're all Victorians, that, that feels kind of odd to me because what I see in my head versus what actually is the case are two completely different things. So... Uh, so we didn't all sit around smoking pipes and, you know, like that sort of thing. It wasn't like we weren't all uh, sort of, it wasn't a Victorian era kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was fantastic. So I met a lot of uh, writers that um, sort of uh, Australian horror writers, and they were really amazing. And 
I have to say a shout out to a few people. Um, Steve Dillon, who's uh, both a writer and uh, publisher here in Australia, he actually suggested that I send remains to Jerry Huntman, who is the um, who is the publisher of, of my novel Remains. Um, um, and uh, he suggested that in the first place. And if he hadn't have suggested that, I would never have approached Jerry, who uh, also is here in Victoria, and Remains wouldn't have been wouldn't have been published. So, I mean, a huge shout out to both of those gentlemen. Um, they've been they're instrumental in me getting remains out the door. So, um, yeah, fantastic. So it's a, it's a thriving scene. There are a lot of horror writers here in Australia. Um, and, you know, the world, the world's a much smaller place than it was even 10 years ago, you know, with uh, the way we can publish now and make our work available um, internationally uh, very quickly. Um, which is fantastic. Technology is definitely helping us to make the world smaller and and to to get uh, get the work out there. So uh, yeah, no, you know, a lot of really fantastic people that, like I say, have been instrumental in getting me um, to this stage in my career. So yeah, huge gratitude. Yeah. I'm I'm thankful for them. I love remains, man. That let's talk about that for a minute. That yeah, book. Sure. That book is so fucking creepy. I don't get creeped out by many books. Uh, I got I got creeped out with actually two ghost stories. I never really read ghost stories. Like I've always, we've always talked about them at like sleepovers and stuff, but I never really dove into the books until like last year. So far, it pretty much started with your book. Uh, I finished Laurel Hightower's Whispers in the Dark. That was creepy and a great book. And the next book I'm about to mention, actually the author specifically said, because I told him you were going to be, we're going to be talking to you tonight. uh, Michael Clark's, Michael Clark wanted to say hi. Yeah. 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 His book, I'm I'm reading book one. Brennan's on book two of the Patience of a Dead Man, and it's it's great. It's creepy too, and I love it. But they're, def- they're definitely on my TBR. It's worth your time, especially if you like ghost stories. But uh, uh, back to remains. Um, I I'm not kissing your ass when I say this, but you're you come off like a poet that became a novelist. Oh, that's really kind. Um, that, that's really kind. I, um, when um, like I did, I did the weird. I guess the weird thing is I started out as a poet. So way back when, when oh, I was, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, that was what I actually wanted to do. So like, I'm not trying to say that I I feel that I write in a particularly poetic way. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, just that that was kind of how I started it out years and years ago. Um, I did performance poetry way back when I was the sort of a angsty teenager, um, when in my younger years. And, you know, like I, I don't know if that comes across in, in what I do now. Um, I think of myself, this is the way I look at myself. This, uh, I think I'm a, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a B-movie horror writer. And, and that makes me happy because I, I love B-movie horrors. So if I manage to produce something like that for people to read, um, then that's me. That's me being really happy with what I've achieved. You know, it's not high art. I don't don't think of it as being anything or anything other than entertainment. I hope it scares people. 
if it does, that, that's fantastic. You know what I mean? So um, I love more um, lyrical sort of stuff in, in, in dialogue. I, I've always been a big fan of good dialogue. Which from I guess that comes from someone who watches, uh, has been involved in movies a lot. Um, and I love that type of thing. If that comes across a bit, that's also fantastic. But um, it's really kind. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, it absolutely does come. For me, it came across like that. Um, the reason why I say that is just the way that you wrote this, um, it, it just flows like poetry. I don't know how else to describe it. You just got to read it to understand what I'm saying. And it's a poem that's a, almost 200 pages long. That's so fucking – you describe it. You describe all the stuff just enough, but, like, you leave out – I'm not going to say what happens, but how the protagonist, what she is at, what the protagonist is um, broken by, mm-hmm. uh, devastated by. Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it without spoiling it. What the protagonist is devastated over and what the story is focused on. I mean, uh, I'll just put, I don't know how else to say it without saying as a dad, especially now, a new yeah, dad, yeah. like, uh, I think I'd want to kill myself. I I don't think I'd want to. I don't think I'd want to be alive if I was her. And that's a that's a hell on its own. When um when I was I wrote uh, remains a couple of years ago. Um and um, it's funny because I'm now a father as well. And um, yeah, I it's funny how things change, isn't it? They change a lot really quickly. Uh, um, I'm not sure. I've been able to write it now, um, so <laughs> it's, it's it's an odd. It's a it was a it was a tough experience uh, in some ways doing it because I knew it was incredibly dark, um, but at the same time I really wanted to be truthful to uh, the character that I'd created in Lucy, um, but also how the story might play out. And again, it it, it does uh, it does sort of go. It follows that thread of my uh, fascination with the paranormal and um, the idea that if you were ever going to, if there were ever going to be a way to uh, maybe contact, make contact with the, the other side, if there is such a thing, would that not be through the most extreme grief, the, the sheer force of love and, and, and grief? that might somehow be able to make contact. And I guess in my in my, my head, that was what I wanted to explore uh, with Lucy's character. And so what she's lived through, um, I won't give any spoilers, but what she's lived through is obviously horrendous. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, I guess for me that, that, that felt like the work that it was truthful to uh, an exploration of, of the paranormal in, in that way. So, yeah came across like that and just one more thing i want to talk about uh with remains is the presentation of the postcards you have two excellent artists um one of my you know what i'll just go on record by saying it daniel sarah he's he's currently my favorite cover artist um you got him to do you broke up a little bit back now can you hear i'm i'm sorry can you hear me now yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, sorry. Give me that. Give me that question again. You were talking about artists. 
Uh, so uh, I'm just saying, I'm going on record saying Daniel Serra is my favorite cover artist. Um, and he, he did a postcard for you. It's yeah. Can you can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Guys. It's so good. Brennan, are you here? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna cut this part out. Uh, yeah, it's okay. All right. Let's start. That's no, all good. Let's start over. Um, all right. So I see that you have two postcards. One by Chad Whirl. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. And one by Daniel Serra. Uh, yep. They're both awesome. And then you got a Ouija board bookmark. Uh, where'd you come up with all, how? How did you manage all that? How'd you figure okay. all those steps out? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, with regards to the, yeah, you know, like I was saying um, early on, that I've always been really, I love good cover art, and I love um, alternate posters uh, from movies. So I, I kind of guess I thought to myself, well, look, it would be really amazing to have lots of alternate art for the books I'm writing. Now, obviously, you can't have every. Um, you can't have every sort of like alternate version of a book uh, necessarily released. Yeah, like like we did the special edition for um, Bones, where Chad's done done the, some incredible artwork um, for that. Um, but I felt that what I could do would be to have get these postcards done with alternate artwork um, for the books, um, and get each of these artists to interpret um, the story in their own way. Uh, and with their own uh, sort of their own style. And um, initially um, with, with Chad's work with me on both, he's worked with me on Bones and um, Remains. And um, I absolutely, I'm just in love with his artwork. It's just, it's absolutely incredible. So I actually got the originals from the cover, the uh, um, alternate cover for uh, Bones and nice. the pieces that he did for Remains. And they're framed and they're um, going up on the office wall. Uh, when I get an opportunity um, to do that, we've only been in this house for a few months, so um, hence the uh, I'm still working on getting my office kind of set up. Mm. So, but um, yeah, and, and Daniel's work, I'd seen him uh, through uh, through Twitter, and um, I approached him. And again, like I've had nothing but fantastic experiences with artists that I that I've worked with. Um, his work again. Is, is absolutely fantastic. You're absolutely right to say that you know, whenever I see a special edition with his artwork on, I think I want that. You know, like I, I want that in my collection. It doesn't it wouldn't matter what it was necessarily. I'd be like, I want a copy of that. Like I, I'll put this out here now, but uh, I'd love to see an alternate um, release of Remains uh, with the artwork uh, by Daniel on it. Uh, yeah. I would love to see that. So yeah. that's something that maybe for the future uh, that could happen. But I, I'd love to see that. So, uh, but I think, I mean, what I've done is that I'll, um, I always like the idea that when you receive a book, um, particularly when it's from the author, it, you, you get something collectible. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a collector myself. So the idea of being able to give out these collectibles, the postcards, uh, bookmarks, Carly at Stranger Dream did uh, the Ouija board bookmarks for uh, Remains, and um, I, I love them. I think they're fantastic. Um, and so I really love the idea of being able to give these sorts of things out with um, 
with the books. And every time I release a book to create more alternate artwork, more postcards, more uh, bookmarks, that sort of thing. So when uh, when my next collection comes, it'll be coming with new artwork by other artists and the like and uh, new bookmarks and, and all sorts of things. I think for me as a collector, it just really appeals to me. So I, I like the idea that when when you know when you get a copy of a book from me, you think, oh, what's, what's going to be, and uh, and that's uh, and you sort of open it up and find another, yeah, you know, hopefully a nice surprise inside. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And I want to ask you to talk about the commercial aspect, but those boxes showing up and ending up all over Bookstagram uh, made for you know it was just all over all over Twitter and. It was just something that you, you you needed. It was such a gorgeous cover, and we didn't even mention the uh, artist on the main cover of Remains, Luke Spooner. Um, yeah. But all of the, with the postcards, with the uh, Ouija bookmark, um, it, it it made it such a must-have item. It's really cool to hear. I um, it really uh, like I say that really appeals to me as well. So I look, I'll be the first to admit I'll buy a book based on its cover. You know, so. You know, if I see something and I think it looks absolutely amazing, I'll, I'll definitely buy that book based on that. Um, and I think, you know, we all do it a bit. I think, you know, the, the cover art isn't necessarily appreciated as much as it as it could be. Um, you know, I'd be very happy to hang a lot of the covers that I that I really love on the wall. You know, they're, they're, this art is as good as anything that you would see, you know, framed traditionally. Um, and so for me... Uh, as, as someone who's, I've considered myself to be incredibly lucky to be able to have these artists working on books that I've, you know, that I've produced. So um, if um, if that artwork is appreciated, um, that's fantastic. You know, it's, it's really good. Like I say, it's as much, it's a pleasure for me to get a chance to work with people I admire. Um, and so that, you know, with all the artists I think I've worked with um, for postcards and, and like I say, even... The cover of Remains, I'd had the idea for the cover of Remains years ago. And so when I spoke to Jerry and said, look, this is kind of what I'd like to do. I want that kind of soul bass feel, the kind of Hitchcockian feel. This is what I, this is the idea I have for it with the suitcase and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, okay, I'll talk to Luke and we'll see what we can do. And then, you know, like maybe two days, he goes, oh, Luke, Luke works pretty fast, right? So a couple of days later, He's sending me an email with a draft of the cover. And I'm like, you're joking, right? So obviously there's a bit of me that's like thinking, <coughs> excuse me, thinking, you know, you're going to open it and you're thinking, okay, it's going to be a draft. What's this going to look like? Do you know what I mean? Two days. Incredible. So from that original draft through to the final piece of art, there are very few changes to the actual cover that he produced in an incredibly short period of time. So, you know, that was amazing. That was that was really I was blown away because in the I'd only had it in my head to that point what I wanted to see. And to see someone actually capture it and produce it like that, yeah, that was just fantastic. So Yeah, I, I can almost see that. It's it's very simple, but it's very striking. And um I, I love the fact that you kind of confirmed my thought that um th- there's there's a story behind it, I guess. Um, there, there are a lot of covers that are really, really nice looking, but 
they're more uh, aesthetically pleasing. This one, you look at the cover, and it really does give you a hint of what you're about to get yourself into. The color scheme, um, the house in the background, almost having a little bit more detail than um, you know anything else that's kind of more like a silhouette. Um, yeah. it's, it just works, man. Yeah, yeah I was really... Like I say, I really, I love the, I love the posters for like Vertigo, North by Northwest, those kinds of things. So when we came to do this, I really wanted something that evoked that Hitchcockian feel. I think um, that's not meant to be in any way a, a comparison uh, either, though, because um, while I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, um, he is the master of suspense. Like so, you know, there is no, I, there's no one comparable today to his level of uh, filmmaking with regard to suspense. Um, you know, if in, like, if I had 100 years more to write, I wouldn't be able to get up to the level of um, sort of, yeah, the incredible suspense he's able to produce in his movies. Um, but he does remain a huge influence um, over my work, even though I've sort of moved from working in film to, uh, to working solely now well at the moment anyway in uh in prose form so uh yeah so yeah i'm really blown away i gotta say it's been a fantastic experience um i consider myself to be very lucky to have uh been, had a chance to work with some of the uh artists i've had a chance to work with there are more artists that i want to work with uh but i'm going to keep that a little quiet um <laughs> because when uh my next piece comes out um i'm hoping to have some artwork from those artists um, to go with it. So, uh, yeah. That'd be fantastic. Um, as far as Hitchcock goes, when you mentioned him earlier, I wanted to ask this. Uh, my personal favorite film by him, I can't really describe why besides I just love it, is uh, The Birds. I was curious what. Oh, yeah. uh, or is it yeah. just Birds? Am I messing that up? <laughs> the Birds. Yeah, The Birds. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's an awesome movie. Like parts of it's kind of cheesy for now nowadays effects, but still, like it's it's a fun movie. And if that happened in real life, it's kind of like a Lovecraft story, where in the sense where if you kind of depict some things that he wrote on film, it probably would look silly. But if it happened to you in reality, uh, I don't think your brain could process it. <laughs> it's so, uh, I absolutely love the birds. It's um. Hitchcock, it, it's, there are so many good Hitchcock movies. Um, and I, I think for me, so now I'd say there's probably, I can't narrow it down to one that's my favorite because not only does he do suspense incredibly well, he also has a way of like hopping genre. So we're looking at sort of like, you could say the bird is as close to a kind of a creature feature um, sure. as, as, as he made. Um, yet on, on the flip side of that, you've got North by Northwest, which is uh, an action movie, really. Um, you know, you've got Psycho, which is a which is a horror. Um, and, and then you then you go to the other sort of more suspenseful movies like um, like Vertigo is hard to quantify as what it actually uh, as what genre you would sort of place it in. And that's one of the things that's really amazing about it. Um and then you've got movies like Dial End for Murder, which is, you know, purely a, which is suspense, a, a suspenseful uh, thriller. Um, so, yeah, so he really, like, hops genre. So I'd say, I think I probably just named <laughs> all my favorite Hitchcock movies, like, in, a, in that uh, sort of, uh, sort, of a, um, sort of grouping there. 
Um, but yeah, I love the birds because even if you watch it now, um, you go, okay, yes, some of the effects aren't, aren't as hot, admittedly, um, but some of it is absolutely incredible. And when you consider the time when it was shot, it really does, like, it really is way, way ahead of its time in regards um, the the effects work. Um, I think it's it's similar to me when you watch um, when you watch 2001. This is going like sort of talking about Kubrick here, and you think that was made in what 69, I think. Um, and you watch that now, and you go, this is the effects are amazing. And I think one of the weird things that's happened is we've had a strange um, period in film where we've gone from doing practical effects to CG, and it's actually we've gone backwards, I think, a bit. So whereas some things are, are really amazing now, we watch them, um, watch some movies, and you think, wow, that, that's really incredible and believable. We've been through a long period where we've actually gone the other way with effects, and we've gone, these are actually really terrible. Like, when you look at movies like, um, going back into horror there, I guess, going like looking at things like uh, The Thing, for example, um, uh, and movie, movies like that that make incredible use of practical effects. Yeah. Uh, back in Hitchcock's day, that's pretty much what you've got, isn't it? You've got practical effects and a bit of sort of green screen type effects, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, just, I think The Birds does an, an, an amazing job of creating high suspense um, with the uh, with the effects that they had at the time. So, uh, yeah, I, lo- I love The Birds. i gotta, I got to say, when I was a kid, my first movie crush was Tippi Hedren. I had such a massive crush on her when I was a teenager. You know what I mean? Like just, it, just amazing. I thought she was incredible. So she's still incredible. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was my that was my first movie crush. I think when I was like a like a little kid. So that, yeah. That, that's hilarious. And uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Eminem, but his, his latest album, uh, Music to Be Murdered By, it's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock, he's got interludes with him in the intro, uh, track five, I think, and the outro. And I'm pretty sure that's, I feel like that's the name of one of his movies. Don't quote me on that. But um, that guy's still relevant today. Yeah, so the music to be murdered by, I think, is is also, there's a Hitchcock, um, like an, an album of music. Um, I think it's of music. It might be of stories, but I think it's of music. Uh, obviously, hence the title. Uh, and it's actually called Mu- Music to be Murdered by. And it's a, there's a, and it was sort of released um, yeah, with Hitchcock associated with it uh, way back when. So um, so I think that's where the, the name originally comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think he's taken that and, and, uh, and run with it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, are you are you enjoying writing books over film? I know you kind of pretty much broke it all down. But it's a really different animal to approach than film. Yeah, it it really is. So um, the first of all, the answer is yes. Uh, I'm probably the happiest I've been as a writer in um, in a very long time. I think the frustration of film uh, versus uh, having the free reign that I have now uh, to to uh, to produce the stories that are sort of buzzing around in my head. it's a real. It's a, it's such a different animal in, in regards. Like I said before, when you're looking at doing film and saying, like when I worked in the UK film film and TV industry, um, you quite often get a commission. So you'd get paid um, for a project, and then maybe six months 
into, you know, or after it had been written, you'd get uh, that company would go bust or that series wouldn't get made. And so whatever you'd written would just sit on the shelf in a producer's um, kind of office. And, and realistically, you know, you get paid for doing it. That, that's really good. But it, it, does, it never gets anywhere. Like no one ever experiences what you've written. Uh, except maybe a small group of about 10 people who have read it. Right. And so, you know, realizing that I could bypass that sort of, like I said, that nine-year wait and go for um, being able to, I could literally, like if I have a, a story idea today uh, and it's flash fiction, it could be written by tomorrow and out with people to read it the same day. Now, that's incredible and empowering as a writer because you can go, you, you know, you really, it, it takes away that entry point that, that was there before that was sort of like with regard film, you've got to have a huge crew of people who are going to make this um, before it gets seen. And then on top of that, you've got the secondary uh, potential problem of what if it's terrible? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like what if you write this really good idea and the acting's bad or the direction's bad or something like that. So you know, when you when being able to produce a story and get it directly to the audience really quickly, just incredible. And I, I absolutely love doing it. Um, I'm working on, like I say, several projects at the moment, um, mainly for next year as a novella for later this year and um, a short, which will be out uh, in a couple of months time. And um, it's just it's fantastic to think that I'm literally I'm working on this story today and it will be with an audience in a couple of months. And that's in that that that's yeah, this incredible feeling to to be able to do that. And um, it's it's also a case that I think when you when you're writing, like every writer thinks they're rubbish. So at the end of the day, we're producing, we're, we're sat in our offices writing away, and there's a big chunk of you that goes, everyone's going to hate this. So like I'm going to finish it, and and it's going to get like tumbleweeds. You know what I mean? Like I'll release <laughs> yeah. it. And that'll be it. And everyone will be like, hmm. You know, and that idea that coming from film, there's this thing where you're only as good as your last film. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, as an idea. And so, you know, you release a, a story and you think, oh, you know, when I released The Trade, I had absolutely no idea what people would make of it. I really thought, what have I got to lose? You know, it could be, it could bomb. Well, it doesn't really matter. I'm not going to stop writing. Um or it could do okay. And I, you know, I was really lucky to find that people enjoyed it. And then with Bones and then with Remains as well. So, you know, touch wood, we'll keep going on, on that. And um, hopefully I'll keep writing things that people enjoy. Um, but it's been amazing to have that response that you don't really get as much when you do film. Um, because although it's, you're not, you're not as close to your audience. I think that is one of the, um, one of the sort of elements of that. Uh, you see a lot of reviews online, that sort of thing. And I, you know, do a few interviews and talk to a few people when I was working in film. Um, but realistically, it was actually less of um, as an experience. It was probably a bit more introverted than actually working as, a, as an author uh, writing stories. And I have more interaction now with the people who read my work than I did with people who watched stuff that I did when I was working in film. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I absolutely love getting, talking to people who read my stuff. It, it's, you know, uh, it really, it's really great to interact with people 
and and just talk horror a lot of the time. You know, one of the things I really love is just talking about horror and getting a chance to talk to people who and also one of the really incredible things about um, having the opportunity to produce work and put it out there as books um, has been meeting has been like getting a chance to talk to some of my heroes. And this is like been and I've always I've been really amazed at how sort of genuinely nice and genuinely interested they have been. And you you kind of go as a writer, you think like for example, like I spoke to um, I spoke to Adam Neville, uh, the author of uh, The Ritual and The Reddening, uh, amongst other um, fantastic novels, and um, the just that was just incredible. Like to actually be have someone you really admire um sort of giving you their time just uh, incredible so it's been it's been an absolutely amazing couple of years um and you know very i'm just really really happy with how things are going to be fair uh, and i never really had that feeling when i was working in film so um yeah no really amazing i think that it's fair to say that that's brendan in my uh experience with the indie horror scene as well um yeah, so you've been kind of teasing us about these projects, but uh, I know that I know that we we talked before previously before recording yeah. about one novel in particular, and I'd love to hear anything that you want to tell us about that. About what's uh, what's coming up? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, sorry. Um, so it was just for a couple of days. Uh, yeah. So, um, okay. So basically, the, the what I'm working on, I'm working on a few bits at the moment. So I'm working on a um, a short, which is for a charity um, anthology. It'll be coming out a bit later this year um, with lots of uh, horror writers who are far more experienced and far better at this than I am. So it's incredible to be asked to be involved in that. Um, so that that was that's pretty amazing. Um, that's basically so not that I write about what I what I um, sort of write from my life, but um, it's basically about the story of um, a mother who a uh, single mother who moves into a new house, um, and when um, she has a friend helps to help is helping her renovate, um, helping her to sort of redo the garden on the house, and uh, and then they begin to dig up bones in mm. in the garden, begin to find bones in the garden. And so basically, so not that this has happened to me, uh, but <laughs> we've recently moved into a new house and um, I've been spending quite a lot of time in the garden. Um, so uh, this is, uh, they sort of say, write about what you know, uh, but there there are no, so far, no bones in the garden. So that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, so far, so far. Yeah, so far. <laughs> So I've only done so much of the garden yet, so uh, you know there's, there's still, still time. time. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so uh, so that's one of the, one of the projects I'm working on. Um, the other project is another collection. So I'm working on a new collection um, called Heart, and that's uh, five stories again in the same sort of format as Bones, and um, these ones are more focused on. It's called Heart because they're stories of a family, love, loss, um, and hope. 
that's uh, kind of the the idea of it uh, with monsters, obviously. So don't obviously. don't worry. Still, still monsters. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, uh, yeah, so there's still plenty of monsters. That's what I was sort of talking about a little bit earlier on, where there's everything from vampires to cryptids um, to just people who are monsters um, and that sort of thing in there, and a folk story, a folk horror story, which I know that people really loved the Rambling Man in in Bones. And it's the most requested story um, for people to that are, they sort of asked me to extend it uh, and to write a longer version. So it's this folk horror story that I'm writing has some similar themes. I think the Rambling Man as a story stands on its on its own really, and I think if I were to expand it, I'd just be repeating what I'd already done. So I've taken another element from that story and I'm expanding on that. For, uh, for the story in the collection. So I've sort of, I've written um, maybe about the equivalent of about three of the five stories, um, but there's still a way to go on tidying those up and writing the last couple. Um, I don't envisage that one coming before. My plan is to release it around my birthday next year, uh, which is in June. Um, and I, that's around the time we released uh, Bones. Um, so that was around my birthday as well. So I kind of just like the idea of releasing a story on my birthday. <laughs> it just appeals to me. I just like doing it. Like um, So even if Hart wasn't ready, I'd try to find something else to release on my birthday. Positive reviews are the best present. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. No, hey, what more could you want than horror? You know what I mean? What more could you want than a good scare? That's what so, I want. Uh, scaring <laughs> is caring, remember? So that's, uh, <laughs> that's how it works. So uh, yeah, so so those are most of the those are the things I'm sort of working on at the moment. Um, I do have a couple of ideas for a new novel, um, but I'm sort of holding off a little bit on that um, purely because what I'll do is while I'm writing the stories for Heart, that idea will be sort of stewing and and sort of and uh, and sort of maturing as an idea, and then hopefully by the time I finish Heart, I'll be well into the process of having planned the novel and um and sort of working to when I, when i'm um when i'm writing i think i tend to think of the uh short stories that i write as being sort of television and the equivalent of what i would have done when i was working in tv um and then the uh novels as feature films so i think that's in part because of the length and the format as well um, but also with regards to the stories that I generally choose to tell, um, I want the, the novels to feel big. I want them to feel like a, you know, a, a, a feature. Uh, whereas with the, with the short stories, I'm, I'm happy for them to be, um, like a good, uh, serial or something that you might see on TV, that sort of thing. We are in your mind.